Both of us have spent much of our lives in wheelchairs, but not just any wheelchairs. Ours are equipped with power seat elevation and standing technologies individually configured to meet our needs. At the push of a button, our wheelchairs can elevate to the eye level with a non-disabled person or position us in a standing posture where we can complete everyday tasks like going to the bathroom or stocking kitchen cabinets. They're nearly impossible for those who spend all or nearly all their time in wheelchairs without these capabilities. Millions of our peers do not have access to this equipment. Medicare, the primary health insurer for older adults, as well as for many people with spinal cord injuries, muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other long-term disabilities, doesn't cover wheelchairs equipped with these technologies. That's short-sighted. That was Paul Lane, an accessibility specialist, and Jim Mead, a disability advocate, reading from their first opinion essay, Medicare Needs to Update Its Wheelchair Coverage for the 21st Century. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Angus McCauley, COO at STAT. Many drugs across the country are at risk of shortage. Eric Edwards, president and CEO of Flow, is here to discuss how they're revamping America's broken medical supply chain. Thanks, Angus. At Flow, we're on a mission to reimagine the essential medicine supply chain from the ingredients to finished products. We're making this possible through continuous flow chemistry and other advanced development and manufacturing processes. Through our smart CDMO services, we help pharmaceutical and biotech companies improve yields, reduce manufacturing costs, and sustain our environment by providing customized services for small molecule APIs and registered starting materials across all stages of development. All done right here in the United States. For more information, visit www.flow-usa.com. That's P-H-L-O-W-USA.com. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Skerritt, editor of First Opinion, STAT's platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. Thanks so much, Jim and Paul, for taking the time to talk with me today. Yes, and thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Pat. It's an honor to speak with you. Thank you so much. You know, before I read your essay, my mental image of wheelchairs was of the one that my wife bought so we could have a wheelchair for when her mother visited us. It's black, has two big wheels in the back, two smaller ones in the front, a less than comfortable seat and back support, and handles on the back so someone could push the chair. Thanks to you two, I now know there are more enabling wheelchairs that could liberate some of the two to three million Americans who rely on wheelchairs for mobility, if they could get help affording them. How do the wheelchairs that each of you use go beyond the traditional wheelchair? Well, Pat, first of all, I want to thank you for shaming me into treating my mother-in-law 
nice now, but I'll make sure I do that because you did it up to your mother-in-law. Uh, but for, for my wheelchair, I have a, I'm a C6 quadriplegic and I'm a power wheelchair user. So my wheelchair is really, I want to say uh, it's created with a lot of technology on it. I have a seat elevation where I'm able to raise myself at eye level so that I can converse with one to reach cabinets. Uh, but I also am able to recline uh, to take pressure off my bottom, uh, to even recline my legs so that I can take pressure off of that. Um, I'm able to drive at long distances, maybe about 35 miles that I'm able to do that. So my chair is really like a, a mobility chariot out there that makes me <laughs> able to just live independently. But that, that's my wheelchair in a nutshell. So, um, you know, you, you put Ben-Hur in my mind already. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I do. And I do have some uh, deterrence on there, too, if somebody attacks me. But yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, how about you? Um, I use a, a wheelchair that has a standing feature as well as the seat elevating. Um, I have uh, muscular dystrophy. And uh, so for, uh, for us, uh, you know, contractures are a big deal. And if you can avoid them, uh, you know, that's a plus. What are contractures? Well, that's when your muscles or tendons kind of shrink up and tighten up and don't release. So, huh. for example, your leg will bend and not go straight again. Um, and uh, the problem with that is, is that the, the treatment is not very pleasant. Uh, I think it's kind of barbaric. They just cut the muscle or a tendon and, and, uh, and release it. That's what they call it. Yikes. And then, uh, you know, I don't know what that would mean for me. Uh, uh, I once went to a surgeon about it and he scared me so much that, you know, I was like, nah, I'll do anything before I'll do that. <laughs> um, I had already been standing for, for years. Um, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of therapists and all are saying, well, your ankle needs to be at 90 degrees for you to stand up for, you know, for you to get effect and all. And it's like, that's not really true for, uh, uh, for my reason for standing. And that's to improve my bone density. Uh, along with a plethora of other reasons. But that's the reason why we wanted the standing feature in my chair because of the bone loss. Um, by getting a standing feature in the chair, I was able to eliminate all transfers. I use a Hoyer lift and a track and a ceiling and stuff for, for that kind of, uh, for other transfers. Um, but my only transfer I was doing was in and out of a standing frame. And we felt that might be too dangerous because the, um, the bone loss was pretty, pretty serious. Um, I didn't want to have a broken bone and my doctor certainly didn't want me to suffer through that. And that's why we prescribed it. And, uh, you know, when we found out that it's not considered medical equipment, we were really rather surprised. Uh, I had known in the past that it wasn't considered metal, medical equipment, but I thought that you know, that was 20 some years ago. I figured they probably reversed that by now, but they hadn't. Treating bone loss seems like a medical necessity to me. Seems like one to me, but of course I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you know, but nor nor are you a Medicare administrator. Not not uh, I'm not that either. 
Um, I do know that, you know, um, there was a couple of years ago when I went to a muscular dystrophy like symposium and there was a lot of young men there in their uh, late 20s and early 30s that suffer from Becker's like I do, which means you'll have a pretty normally a, a normal lifespan. And uh, all of them were in standing wheelchairs. Wow. All of them had jobs. And I was like, yay. Because, uh, you know, when I was coming up, there was a lot of this stuff just wasn't even available. ADA wasn't out there. Uh, you know, uh, when I graduated from high school, that's the first time that they made a van that you could drive a wheelchair into. So, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't think there was going to be anything for me. Paul, what kind of what kind of wheelchair did you start out in? I started in a traditional power wheelchair. It was a quickie P110. And that wheelchair, um, it did break down. So my family was able to break it down and put it in the trunk of a car so that I can travel. Um, but it didn't have any of the seat elevation. It never had any of the uh, elevation for my feet, um, for my reclining. And this was almost 30 years ago. So it was uh, just a regular power wheelchair uh, nothing fancy, and it wasn't comfortable either. And that's one of the things <laughs> that, that that we find out over the years is that um, sometimes we get so excited about getting uh, a power wheelchair that we don't really take the time to find out if it's really going to fit our needs and fit our lifestyle. And over the years, I made a lot of mistakes with not articulating what I was going to use my wheelchair for. And then when I finally got my wheelchair, I'm like, whoa, I can't do this. I can't fit under this table. I can't do this. I can't do that. That over the years, you know, I was like, you know what? I have to use my voice to make sure the clinician truly understands what I need my wheelchair for, because we're going to be in it 10, 11, sometimes 12 hours a day. So we have to make sure that it fits our lifestyle. Hmm. Were people listening? At first, no, but I'm glad they are now um, because you have a lot of clinicians now who over the years, understand that these are medical necessities that we have and not just luxuries. Um, oftentimes we would say, hey, I want to get that. Oh, well, um, you can go ahead and use that instead. And I'm like, no, you're not living in my body. You have no idea what I go through every day. So this is what I need. This is what I am demanding. And does my insurance cover it or not? If not, we'll go to the justification process. We'll fight and we'll get it done. Now you have clinicians who are willing to do that. Back then, um, almost 30 years ago, they weren't because they were just like, let me just move on to the next. Let me do this. But now over the years, since uh, ones like myself and Jim have been using our voice to talk about how we can make this process better, how we can make um, these uh, devices uh, more independently built so that we can survive on a daily basis, we're starting to see some changes now from the clinician standpoint. Well, that must have been frustrating. I was originally going to say that must have really ticked you off when doctors kind of shrugged off your concerns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Jim may have had this problem, too, but I've had to go to several doctor's appointments just for them to approve me to get a wheelchair. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a quadriplegic. I don't walk. Um, I'm out of that five-year window that I'm eligible to get one. Why am I, why do I have to fight so much mm. for you to, to give me what 
I have coming to me. And it was really frustrating. You know, I've gotten to a couple of combated conversations with some medical professionals, you know, respectfully. But, you know, I just wanted to let them know that, wait a minute, you have no idea what I go through every day. So why are you trying to trying to block block what I need? Jim, have you had the same kind of problems or issues? I think that, uh, <laughs> well, unlike someone who is in a in an accident and becomes uh, like a spinal cord injury, you know, a person like that, they wake up and they're like, they don't have any idea really what they need. Unlike that situation, I have muscular dystrophy. I mean, I've known since I was a teenager that there's going to be a day when I'm in a chair. So I had a whole lot of time to think and look and, and learn. I was able to move into my wheelchair and not miss a day of work. Hmm. What, what was your work? Uh, I, telephone sales. Uh, I was a tech and sold uh, electronic test equipment. Um, but I had to report to a place that was about 20 miles from my house. And, you know, so I was able to, you know, with a lot of planning, not even miss a day of work. So you write in your essay that Medicare has long declined to cover seat elevation and standing systems on the ground that they are, quote, not primarily medical in nature. So make the case for us, if you can, and I'm sure you can, that they are medical in nature. Well, uh, I'd like to chime in on that one. Uh, I've been in a wheelchair for about 25 years now. And the last time that I took my blood sugar, it was 92. And that's pretty good for somebody that who's even good. not in a chair. You know, I think that's because of my uh, staying active. Because a sedentary lifestyle, that's what I was warned that would you know would be a problem. And I, I always got something going up here. You know, I, I live a very active lifestyle, and I think that's the reason. The reason I'm able to live that active lifestyle is because I've had the elevating seat and I've been standing. When I stand in the morning after breakfast, uh, but I had one worker, she told me, you know, I could set a clock by you because exactly 20 minutes after you sit down, you have to have a bowel movement. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you know, uh, and I know that's important that, you know, some people think that's funny, but for me, that's really important. I have a, I had a cousin also had Becker syndrome like me, um, wasn't standing. And, uh, the reason he died is because he couldn't have a bowel movement. He got blocked up and he just, had happened to him before, but this time he just decided he wasn't doing anything about it and it killed him. And that's not a, it's not a good way to go. And, you know, after that happened, I, I was, you know, I had read about because of my disease, you may have gastric or bowel type problems. So I've always been aware of that. And, uh, and I know that the standing is the reason that my bowels are moving. Uh, cause it, like I said, you can set a clock, man. <laughs> It's also, as you mentioned earlier, what's keeping your bones strong. It's also keeping my, well, it's, it's actually rebuilding my bones. Uh, uh, when it came to having osteo, uh, I think you call it osteopenia to be exact. Um, but when it comes to that, you know, they have uh, treatments that you take, you know, hormone uh, shots like, like uh, I take Prolia, for example. That's a shot every six months. Now, if you don't do weight bearing, that will be very, a lot less effective, if effective at all, is how it was explained to me, that it basically doesn't work without weight bearing. Well, there's no other way for me to do weight bearing other than a standing feature in a chair or a standing frame. Uh, I had the frame, but I didn't want to break a bone. When it came to uh, 
you know, wanting this equipment, I basically went in, I had a, a, a doctor and I told him, I says, here's, here's what I think the plan should be. Get me a standing wheelchair, uh, cut my heel cords if we have to. When I got the chair, I found out that I'm not going to have to cut my heel cords to stand up in this thing. And I was very happy. Now I did have to work on stretching them some and I, and I was able to do it, even though they keep telling me that that's not possible. Um, I don't. I don't listen to people when they tell me something's not possible. <laughs> Paul, what kind of health benefits have you seen from the kind of chair you're using now? I would say um, not putting myself in harm's way um, with transfers in and out of bed, uh, especially um, if if the chair is too low. I don't have good triceps. I think my triceps are trace. So I'm not able to push up uh, like someone who doesn't have a spinal cord injury. So and I have real bad um, um, balance in my upper core. So I would topple over. I would lose my balance. But uh, being a seat elevation has allowed me to elevate my chair so that I can be a little higher than my bed and just use gravity by sliding down with just a little uh, minimal push. Uh, from my from my arms and even when it comes to cooking uh, not being high enough I would burn myself when I would try to cook oh wow and I have a I have a bunch of battle scars of me trying to do that but now being able to elevate my um, chair I'm able to do it at a very safe level I'm able to to reach into cabinets at a safe level um, and not um, you know hurt myself for trying to do so and I, I want to also talk about just the the mental aspect of being able to do that. And to me, I think this is why it really shows the necessity of this type of technology being covered by, by Medicare. Just how I feel being able to be a productive member of my household, being able to be independent, that has really just changed the, any negative uh, feelings that I have towards my disability by not being able to do it, now being able to do it and being able to do it at a very safe level and uh, just feeling more and more uh, just good about myself. And I think oftentimes when the decision makers look at these different things like Jim and I need, like the, the, the standing um, portion of a wheelchair, our elevation in our wheelchair, and they just look at, oh, well, it's not a necessity because somebody else can go grab that for you. But it's like we want to do it ourselves. Mm. And being able to do that, it allows us now to just feel much better about ourselves and being able to just feel like we belong, you know, because we, are, we already feel kind of slighted because we can't do everything. So uh, you'll give us an even playing field to be able to live independently as much as possible because contrary to popular belief, we don't like having people do stuff for us. We want to do it ourselves. And if we can do it, let us do it. And all these different technologies allow us to, to do so. It's the simple wins Absolutely. during the day. You know, I was able to brush my teeth without asking for help. That's a win for us. That's a big win for us. It's a big deal. You know, being able to use the bathroom without having help. I mean, that's a big deal. You're able to maintain your, your, a little bit of your privacy. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, 
Mm. Yeah, you're going to have to. <laughs> I'd get uncensored with the next thing coming out. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's how angry I get about it. I mean, it's it's most important for people to have their independence, no matter no matter if it's just being able to brush your own teeth. I mean, uh, you take that away from somebody, and it just makes them feel uh, useless and worthless. And you know, them little wins every day they add up and they add up and add up, and the next thing you know, at the end of the day, you feel like you had a you had a big win, and that's a that's a big deal when you're trying to live life from a from a chair like this and, and you know the biggest frustration and i want to chime in what jim was saying too is with all these wins that we can have that seem to be uh, the card stacked against us in a, in a card game is the fact the powers that be who make the decisions are not us they are not ones like jim and myself who live this each and every day you have ones who don't have a disability who are going to tell us what's a medical necessity or not and that's that that's just that's just wrong uh, to me. That's uh, immoral. It just it just doesn't make sense. You know, I wanted to ask the even the little wins for you. They might also be wins for caregivers, too. Aren't your your ability to do more is taking some of the burden off a caregiver. That should all be factored into this, shouldn't it? You would think you would think the thing about, you know, historically Medicare is a uh, a reaction type. They they um, how do I say this? Their their culture is of reaction. You know, oh, you have uh, okay, you got a broken bone. Okay, well, we pay for the the setting of the bone, and we pay for the cast, and we pay for therapy. You know, it's 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 uh, it's a response type thing. It's not really a um, proactive type thing. Uh, like for example, the getting a contracture, you know, uh, they'll certainly pay to have that thing released, <laughs> right. but they won't pay to prevent it. And to me, prevention, what is it? Ben Franklin used to say an ounce of prevention, pound of cure, <laughs> pound of cure. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so that's how I've lived my life. I mean, is to try to mitigate what kind of a burden I am on my family and on society, which is the same thing. Um, I've, I grew up trying not to be a burden on society and not a burden on my family, um, being independent and, you know, elevating seat allowed me to keep working, um, standing features in the chair, you know, allowed me to, or allowing me to reverse my osteo. I mean, these things are important. Our caregivers, they, they have the wear and tear on them, and we want to keep them as healthy as possible. And because if not, they may be right next to us needing some of this care. And then there is more of a strain, and like, like Jim was talking about, about the, uh, the ounce of prevention. It's like sometimes people in the powers that be, they can't see the forest for the trees because... They them looking at the symptoms and not the cause, and it's it's very frustrating. So these, you've done a great job describing the benefits. I imagine that these chairs come with a pretty steep price tag. Oh yeah, I remember the first chair that I had that had seat elevation. Um, I picked it up at the rehab hospital where I was, and my therapist had the paperwork you know, where I had to sign. And this was back in 2016. 
the chair was $85,000. That's how much wow. it cost for my insurance to pay for a seat elevation chair. Now, the seat elevation chair that I had at first did not have the capability of me being able to drive while I was at seat elevation because I was too heavy and I was too tall. My new wheelchair I have gives me that capability where I'm able to elevate and drive because it's like cornflake without the milk if you can't do <laughs> one or the other, you know. But yeah, it's really, really expensive uh, for for the insurance, and, and I'm sure we all have different um, ways that we can talk about lowering that cost. But it's it's and and this is where I think where, where Medicare, you know has a little trepidation because if I had money to buy this, Patrick, out of my my own money, it'd probably cost half, half of that. You know, but 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 Medicare is being charged. You know, so it's it's sad. Hmm. Yeah, there's an expense in these chairs, you know, but here's the thing. It probably costs you more not to have the seat elevator feature. Because one uh sore that won't heal I don't know how much that costs, but, you know, two of them, a broken bone, uh, insulin every day, uh, possible, you know, uh, uh, dialysis, you know, down the road. All those things are very, very expensive. And I will I'll bet dollars to donuts <laughs> that this cost of this chair is way cheaper than one or two of those things happening to you. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I was poking around this morning before talking with you all and saw that uh, an episode of hospitalization for skin ulcers or bed sores could be 70,000 bucks. That's one hospitalization. Um, so, you know, you've almost got a chair covered by that. Now, you know, you know, and it's, and it's crazy when you look at it that way, Pat, as far as one, el- one ulcer episode, and some of us have one or two ulcer episodes a year. Yeah. You know, so that's 150,000 right there. So uh, why not invest, you know, in the wheelchair with the standing feature with the seat elevation again. It's treating the symptom and not the cause that we see. And all that could change if we people of our community were a part of the decision makers when it comes to these different if it's a necessity or not. Again, you have ones who have no idea who are saying, oh, no, look at the cost. We can't have that. It's just a wheelchair. No, it's more than a wheelchair. It's our independence. Right. It's our health. So you're looking for a seat at the table or, in your case, a chair at the table. <laughs> Pretty, a, a chair with elevation at the table. <laughs> that, that's what I'm looking for. And, and and a standing feature for my friend Jim. So that's what we're looking for. But, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and it only makes sense uh, because – it's only getting worse because Jim can tell you after the many years that it's going on 30 years for me in, in January of next year of being a part of the disabled community. Every year we get more and more who will become part of our community. And all it's going to do is going to grow as, as ones age out, it's going to happen. So why not look at the potential problems and fix it right now before it's too late? So, you know, I learned from an essay written by Barry Dean. He's a Grammy-nominated songwriter who has a daughter, Catherine, who has cerebral palsy and has been in a wheelchair for 15 years, a power wheelchair. And it really helps her engage with her community. And 
he wrote in his uh, in his first opinion that the Medicare policies that you guys are talking about here were published in 2005. And the goal at the time was to expand Medicare's coverage for assisted devices. But as Barry Dean wrote, I'm quoting him here, all coverage was dependent on three small words, in the home. So all of the devices that Medicare covers are things that help people in the home. Do you need to stand in the home? Well, maybe they don't think so. Do you need a power wheelchair in the home? Maybe you probably don't. So it seems like assistive devices that help people eat or dress themselves was covered, but ones that let people move around outside or travel to a different state or go fishing or wash their car's windshield weren't considered to be necessary, so not covered by Medicare. Do I have that right? Yes, you do, Pat. And Pat, I'm glad you went there because I forgot to go there. So we cannot leave our disability when we leave the house. This this is the most frustrating thing that bothers me when it comes to, to Medicare coverage. I wish I can leave my disability when I leave the house. You have no idea. I would love to do that, but I can't. If I'm going to the store, I, I, I'm also a broadcast journalist, so... When I am on the red carpet interviewing ones, it's nice for me to be at eye level so that I can interview a person eye to eye and and my neck is not getting hurt or they're not uncomfortable. So all these things, we live outside of our home. I mean, it's just like saying someone who uh, Medicare pays for insulin saying, okay, so you can't use your your insulin when you're outside of the home, if you have a diabetic attack. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense with their rationale. And it's, and it's just really frustrating. So your essay led up to a, a call to action, in a sense, that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services had asked for public comment on whether to cover power seat elevation technology. And there was a deadline for submitting comments on September 14th. Have either of you submitted comments? Absolutely. And have you taken a look at the comments to see what other people said or talked with anybody who has? I've probably read yeah. through about yeah. 400 comments. Oh, my God. <laughs> what what kind of – was there a diversity of opinion or uh, – uh, All the opinion was is that it should be covered. Okay. 100% <laughs> of every one of the comments that I read felt it should be covered. Um, a lot of those were humbling for me because I'm very fortunate. I, you know, I did a lot of research. I went into a elevating seat chair right away. You know, I got myself a standing frame when I felt the time was right. And, you know, I got it in the chair when, it, when the time came, uh, whether they were paying for it or not, I was getting it. Uh, uh, so for me, um, I, I meet all these other people and I'm just in awe of what they've been through compared to what I've been through. And all it does is make me want to try even harder to get this changed and open my mouth even more because I have the ability to open my mouth and, and I'm not afraid to do it. Uh, and I'm glad to do it for, for anybody who's in a chair. You know, this is for the guys coming up. This ain't even for me. I don't even, I don't think I'm going to live long enough to, to need another standing chair. Uh, it's, it's not for me. It's for the kids coming up because without this, without these things, how are they even going to have a chance to have any kind of a, a life? 
Yeah, it was heartbreaking, you know, when I read some of these comments because it's like, you know, why do we have to fight so hard for something that should be common sense? And like Jim said, you know, you know, we're part of the old guards. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to pay it forward to the next generation so that they can reach new heights. And so, so you guys are really fighting. It sounds like you are really fighting for the people covered by Medicare who are on fixed incomes and don't have anybody to help them out afford this technology. And you're hoping that Medicare will help these people out. Oh, absolutely. That and the fact that there are some insurance insurances that you buy that strictly follow Medicare rules. So these guys aren't getting it either. And if you're, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, insurance companies that will pay for it um, because they do see that it's medically necessary. Uh, Sometimes you got to fight with them to get it. But, you know, they are starting to see it. Um, Well, let's. That's thinking about that's okay. the frustrations yeah. get me <laughs> distracted. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and that's the thing, how at least some private insurance is at least considering these type of different technologies and features. Medicare is not. No, you know, and, and the fact that Medicare is not even considering it. That's the that's the issue. You know, and it's like, why Why not consider it? Why automatically it's not even a necessity? That doesn't make any sense at all. And that, that I don't understand. And I think part of that is just that the, uh, again, this is my opinion. I don't know if it's fact or not, but, you know, Medicare originally was for people over 65. Uh, I, don't, I think it was an afterthought that they put people with disability on Medicare. Right. Some of whom are in their teens or 20s or 30s. If I'm 11 and I have muscular dystrophy and I need to stand in a wheelchair now, well, without that, I'm, I'm, am I going to make it to 18 to even get a job and try to be mm. a, a member of society or do I just give up now? And there's plenty of people that, you know, they get a wheelchair and they give up anyway. Uh, and, and why? Well, because we're not really accepted in society. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm invisible uh, sitting down here. And sometimes when you raise up in the elevated seat, now you're now you're noticed a little bit more. You're not as invisible. Uh, I mean, I've had it happen to me time and time again. I'll be in a store and they'll say to the person behind me, can I help you? And I'm like, Mm. don't you see me here? I'm next in line. Oh, Mm. we didn't know what you were here for. Well, really? (laughs) You know, Uh uh, so, you know, uh, uh, us older guys, we know what it's like to be ignored and and uh, be treated like we're invisible. Well, it'll be interesting to see what um, what Medicare decides when they've processed all these comments. I really appreciate your explaining newer assistive wheelchairs to me and listeners, Paul and Jim. I'm not sure I'll be able to look at traditional ones the same way from now on. No, Pat, and we appreciate we appreciate you and and our good friends over at Stat to even have this uh, type of conversation because it's it's something that that needs to be talked about and and the fact that you're allowing us to do so, you know, is really really awesome. We appreciate we appreciate you all as well. Our pleasure. My honor to be uh, uh, asked to be on here, uh, and uh, you know, and I uh, I always like to thank our veterans because without them. We probably wouldn't be able to even do what we're doing right now.
Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer, and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners. Please let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well as we continue to navigate the realities of COVID and the whitewater ahead. <laughs>